Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1056. Uh, go to ID10T.com slash sign up. Sign up for the email list to uh, just be notified of things that we will notify you about when the live shows are coming back, just kind of weird, fun stuff we're going to be making. Um, you know, we'll send some inspirational stuff now and again, but not too much, not to be overwhelming, but that's our email list. Uh, or you can follow us on Instagram, which is just ID10T. Simple. Just do it. All right. Um, let's talk about the cork board. Events at ID10T.com. Like Sean with an S-H-A-U-N who writes, Over the past four years, I've been producing a documentary about the vinyl revival. I've been fortunate enough to talk to so many great people within the vinyl community, such as mastering engineers, plating facilities, vinyl collectors, musicians, record labels, and visit nearly every pressing plant in the States. Earlier this February, the revival encountered a potential major setback as one of only two manufacturers of the lacquer plates burned down. Thankfully, no no one was hurt in the fire, but as a supplier of roughly 70% of the world's lacquer plates, they disappeared in an instant. So there will no doubt, uh, this will no doubt affect the industry, but seeing the community and industry rally together to overcome a common problem has been an amazing aspect to cover. I'm always traveling and looking for interesting people to talk with uh, within the vinyl community. If you can see some of my progress with the documentary, it's the account on Instagram, Deep Cuts Documentary. So Instagram.com slash Deep Cuts Documentary or just Deep Cuts Documentary. As well as news about the industry, my travel, and the clips of many amazing people I've been lucky enough to talk with. Always looking to connect with people with stories to share about vinyl, so please connect with me through Instagram or give my project a follow if you're a vinyl enthusiast. Uh, thank you so much, Sean, for keeping that alive. And I'm sure that there are people out there that hopefully will will reach out to you with um, that are either fans of vinyl or just have some sort of connection to vinyl uh, in some way. There's a lot. There's a lot of them out there. So thank you for pulling all that together. Events at ID10T.com for your thing for the cork board. This episode is Jason Scott Lee, who you may know uh, from the Bruce Lee story or Jungle Book or Lilo and Stitch. Um, he is in Mulan, the live action Mulan, which was going to come out March 27th, but now obviously has been pushed uh, due to coronavirus, but will come out eventually, obviously. Um, and wow, what an incredible conversation, because in sort of doing some, uh, just some digging about, about him, I realized that he began to study uh, Bruce Lee principles after he played Bruce Lee, this conversation took so many wonderful turns, um, sort of about mind-body connection and, you know, daily living philosophies, uh, sort of communing with nature, learning from nature, taking things from the physical universe and transferring them to the emotional universe and vice versa. And one note that he sent afterwards, though, is that we discussed um, Bruce Lee's three principles of combat and he had laid them out, but we actually, for some reason, only got to two and then got sidetracked, which we are wont to do from time to time. But he just wanted to make sure that I did make a note to add the, the other one in there. So, And this will make sense when you listen to the podcast. But the three principles of combat of Bruce Lee, number one, simplicity. Number two, economy of motion, which we actually didn't get to. But I think economy of motion speaks for itself. And longest weapon to the nearest target, which we did also talk about. So really, really really fantastic um, chat and he led a really interesting life and actually just kind of withdrew from Hollywood to kind of commune with nature in an amazing way um, in Hawaii so uh, I really 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 cherish the time that we got to spend together talking about this I've listened to this podcast a couple times and have made notes about oh I gotta remember this and I gotta remember to do this and I have to remember to implement that so this might be one that you listen to multiple times uh, if you're into that that sort of stuff but thank you to Jason Scott Lee for being a super superb guest of the ID10T podcast number 1056. 
Here we go, rolling the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. you on thank you so much for being here yeah there's so many things that i want to talk to you about because i mean first of all obviously people there's a lot of things that people will know you from but the one thing that i discovered that i didn't realize was you and i'm so sorry if you're tired of hearing (laughs) this but it's it's the back to the future like oh my god that is such a that's such an iconic (laughs) line from that and when i was like i knew everything you had done and then i stumbled across like, people are so obsessed with that one line, unless you've got power. And I was like, oh, my God, that's I never I just <laughs> never put those two things together. And that is that is like that is an iconic back to the future scene. <laughs> the good old days. The good, it really was the good old days. Now, Oh, my God. It, it was. Yeah. The 1900s. I remember <laughs> I remember waiting in line to see Back to the Future 2 and then they did Universal did that weird thing where they shot them back to back and they released them two and three within like three right, months of each right, other right. or something. Yeah. So, is, and any good Back to the Future story? Any was it fun? Did it? Oh, was it, it was fun because Tom Wilson's like the I, sweetest guy in the yeah, world. Yeah, I think at that time it was one of my first uh, gigs, and um, you know it was, it was all new, and I was like, wow, this is fantastic, and. And then we met Michael J. Fox, and he was the loveliest person. And we were just like kids, yeah. And he, yeah. And, and he was like, "Hey, just come in after work. We'll we'll make some margaritas and stuff like that." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> sweet ass, man! This guy's cool. That's yeah, fantastic." So, you know, just little little touches like that. And, and Thomas Wilson was fantastic. You know, he he was great. Yeah, he was great fun and. Oh, wow. I'm so... To know that you are part of Biff's Future Gang, which now <laughs> technically is our past because that was 2015. Right. That was, tw- that was 2015. That, that, that took place in 2015. And Wha- it's funny because a lot of the prototype cars we saw on set look like the cars now. Right. Like Priuses and all that kind of stuff. Still no hoverboards, oh, though. No hoverboards yet. Still... Well, no- they explode, right? They- <laughs> <laughs> well, those ones are on wheels. They're not fire, even like right? real... True. Like, a- occasionally you'll see... This is what I love about sci-fi and reality is that, you know, it's sort of like when you watch the old Star Treks and you realize, oh, we just manifested the communicator with our <laughs> cell phones. It's like you watch videos of people who are trying to make the hoverboard so bad. And there are versions of them. There are like uh-huh. water versions and right. like rocket versions. But still, that sort of... We still have not cracked the hoverboard. Yeah, that's the only thing I'm. I'm upset that was when about. The Zemeckis was toying with that green screen and the, you know all the all that uh, CGI stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was like the early the beginnings. And so, th- so that was your first like film job. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, one one of them. Yeah, well, my first film job was with Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong. Oh yeah, was that born uh, in East born LA? Born in, born in East LA. Yeah, that's right. That, that was my very first gig. Actually. Oh wow. Yeah. That's cool. Was it fun? <laughs> What's happening, boys? We were we were filming in Tijuana. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, good. And, and that was amazing. I think I was like, geez, nineteen, eighteen, nineteen. You grew up in LA. 
I did not. I was born in L.A. And oh, you were my, born in my, L.A. Both my parents were originally from Hawaii. And, oh, right. Oh, and you grew up in Hawaii. I was a third child, and then um, my father wanted us to be raised in Hawaii. Nice. Where he was raised. So we all went back when I was really young. Um, were you on Oahu? Or? On Oahu, correct. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it. we just um, we just went to Hawaii. I've been to... I never, I've never been to, I've never been to Lanai or Molokai, mm-hmm. but I've been to the we we helicoptered over Molokai, but I've, oh, but, neat. which was incredible, but yeah. it, uh, but it's just it's, I get it. I mean, I, I get why people, why you run into people there and they go, I came here for a vacation like twenty years ago and I just never left. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's captivating. It is yeah. captivating. Yeah, and, yeah there's and something about it, especially here in the city where our landscape is basically just buildings. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know, like being able to st- just being able to breathe, yeah, you know, and even like even places that cities or, or the small towns that have expanded, you still get a lot of natural areas, yeah, right out there. So you, you get that feeling of uh, the ocean and the, the mountains, and you know, it has that uh, what they call electromagnetic uh, gr- gr- pull. Yeah, and people feel uh, relaxed. Well, then, how did you know that you wanted to be a performer? Um. I didn't, you know, as I kind of fell into it accidentally. And I, I think when I played sports in school, high school, and, you know, you had that crowd, that audience crowd, and you thought, well, this is pretty cool, <laughs> you know. But then, it, uh, and then when you get into acting, when you start doing it, it's like, oh, this is frightening. Right. But then that's what's cool about it. Right. The, you do it because you're afraid of it. Right. You do it because there's a rush. Right. But yeah. And, and then that's, that's kind of falling into that that pattern of behavior yeah it's like and so do you do you find that you sort of rush to things that freak you out because you feel like oh i gotta like if i'm afraid you know something makes me nervous i should probably explore that because that's exactly that's what what makes you feel alive yeah right yeah yeah. (laughs) just like surfing right it's like you start graduating to the bigger wave and you go yeah, I'm really scared, but I just gotta charge, you know. I just gotta, I just gotta take off. I miss otherwise, that boat. otherwise it ain't, it, it ain't, it ain't no fun after a while. <laughs> yeah, I really miss that boat. I, I think I'm just too old to start that now because I, I feel like when, you know, when you're young, you can get your, you know, you can get your thrown into the sand on your face, and you're like, oh, just brush it off, and now. I just feel like, yeah, you know, that, that'd be like two weeks of recovery. <laughs> oh, my shoulder, my calves hurt. Like, it just, I uh, think you, I miss that. You go boat. to Waikiki, it's gentle, it's small waves, and it's easy going. You just sit on the board and paddle, <laughs> like, oh, I'm doing it. Or now stand up paddleboard, right? That, that's, that's a big no, Oh, you mean like with yeah, the, yeah, with the, the actual paddle? Up, yeah, and stuff like that. Do you, and so you don't look like an old person paddling on stage. <laughs> oh, look at that poor old guy. He's like paddling. Oh, young guys, old guys. Oh, they do. Okay, good. Man, man, good, 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 yeah. good. I'm so interested to talk to you about your uh, practice of martial arts because I know that after you did the Bruce Lee story, you did you did you did I understand correctly? You actually began pursuing Bruce's study of martial arts after the film? Correct, yeah. I met I met my Sifu, um, who was one of Bruce's students in mm-hmm. the L.A. days when Bruce was in Los Angeles. His name was Jerry Poteet. And um, I met a bunch of guys that were who surrounded them, themselves with Bruce back in those days. And um, Linda Lee Caldwell, uh, Bruce's widow, actually set me up with this older, yeah. older generation. Um, so and then I discovered that Jerry was the one that was real forthcoming, and he he wanted to kind of share the the information and, and share his 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 experience with Bruce. So um, he kind of took me under his wing, and, and he I trained with him for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was just a transformative time. And then we went 
after the film, I kind of stayed with it because it had changed my life so dramatically. Um, so I, I, I continued to, every time I came back to Los Angeles, I would look up Jerry and we'd I'd spend like three weeks on his couch. Mm -hmm. And every morning we wake up and, you know, do some drills or something or, or if it wasn't right or... If, you know, you're sore and fatigued, then it was, it was just having a cup of tea, mm -hmm. you know, and discussing the philosophies of um, Jeet Kune Do and, and uh, the many philosophies um, that Bruce studied in order to get where he, he went, you know. Because he, if, he, if I'm understanding correctly, he very famously was one of the first people that came along and said, you don't have to paint yourself into one box. You can take bits and pieces from disciplines and philosophies and use... Use mm -hmm. the best parts that work for you. Am I am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Um, there are um, one thing I think gets lost in translation is that um, the thing is that there were principles mm -hmm. and there were principles of combat, and within those principles of combat, if those other so-called um, styles or systems fit into that those principles of combat, then they were worthy of of being utilized and kept. Okay. But once it became fancy, once it became out of step, or once it became um, uh, like self-indulgent, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 flowerful and all these kind of things, then it was is useless. Right. Um, so anything that was engaging, direct, you know, and I think there's discovering that in MMA um, with with the UFC and stuff, you know, seeing the progression of the fighters and and how efficient. They are really utilizing their reach and you know hitting at 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 at, at right at the end of their punches. Um, and um, you know he was also Bruce was one of the early I think proprietors of like the jujitsu and and the the arm bars and the you know the locks and things. And that that was he was doing that boy from the sixties. Oh wow! Yeah, but he wouldn't tell anybody. That's the thing. He said the Chinese are very sneaky. He said. <laughs> He said, I'm not going to let you know what my arsenal is. <laughs> so I would hear stories from my Sifu, Jerry Petit, about going into his library. And he, would, he wouldn't let, allow anybody into his library. And one time he did, the, the sort of core students. And, and they were looking through it. And, and, and I think one student kept asking him about, about Tai Chi and, 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 and wrestling and um, all this, this Chinese uh, wrestling and all this thing. And he goes, no, no, there's nothing to it. Don't, don't you know. Don't don't bother with it. And when they went to his library, he had like volumes and volumes of Tai Chi, oh, wow. volumes of like Chinese wrestling, which is grappling, Chinese grappling, and all that kind of thing. Wow! And just and they were like, and he had it all marked, and he had it all the pages all marked, and like bookmarks in all these special places, and you know highlighted and stuff. And they were just like, wow, he 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 had done a lot of research. Wow, that's incredible, and it also shows you that you know. Excellence is not an accident that the people that tend to excel like put in the time and the study and the work yeah. and they really live with it yeah. rather than just, you know, especially because, you know, I, in college, like most people will have like a Bruce Lee, like that classic Enter the Dragon poster on their wall. And it's, so they probably think it's, it's ironic to hear you say like anytime it becomes too flowery or too flourishy, but I, I do think that the people who don't really understand it or study it, that's what they focus on. Yeah. You know, like, oh, those flourishes and in those films when he's at those tournaments and he's kicking the shit out yeah. of 20 people that encircle him. But like if you look at his some of his fights that he choreographed himself, you'll see his his essence is in that. Mm -hmm. it, it's like um, um, he uses a lot of strategy. 
um, baiting and stuff and 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 um, uh, things that like he lead he he lead you into a kick and then he redirect it. Mm-hmm. So they call it direct, you know, um, direct indirect sort of. And you see it in in the fight game now, right? You know, people throwing a straight and then hooking right at the end, and then you think think that that straight's coming in, but then it, it redirects itself and it hooks. And so you're kind of like leaning into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so so once you get a response, you you it's like a chess game. Yeah, it's like okay, what can I throw out, and how are you going to respond? Right. So it's like now I know. Oh, if you're gonna block, oh, I'm gonna easily like you know redirect my my shot and and, and go around a block. Or right. Kind of thing. So. Yeah, it, 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 there was so much strategy involved, you know, the, the sort of, and and you had to know your 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 center line. You had to know, you know, uh, if if energy was taken to the left, then you you'd counter to the right. If energy was taken to the right, you counter to the left. Mm-hmm. And it had all these these cool stuff that just kind of turned me on. And so I was I I stuck with it for a good. Oh, I don't know, 15, 15 years with you know fifteen twenty years with like, wow um, with Jerry. Um, until his passing, and then um, it was just, you know, you kind of jump out of the nest, right? You know, so to say, yeah. Did you feel yeah. ready even after fifteen well, years? Well, you know, years? It, it just becomes a part of you, you know, and, and that 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 quality, that responsiveness, and that the sensitivity. Um, and Bruce used to, uh, these. Jerry used to ask Bruce, you know, what's going to happen when you get old? You know, how are you going to compete with with a younger person? He goes. And Bruce's answer was, well, hopefully by then, my sensitivity and my awareness would be so high that there would be no need to have a whole lot of strength. Oh, wow. And because so, he, he, he assumed that he, that he would just gain the wisdom and the experience. Yeah. And then you, you foresee things. Like, I think we do that in, in and, and you can reflect that in life because if you see someone's energy is, like, aggressive, you know, you can easily kind of go around it or talk, talk, talk in a soft tone. Right. And kind of, like... And those are the things that meant a lot to me. Like, that's disarming a situation mm-hmm. before it even happens. Right. And that's being safe. That's being, you know, a martial artist. Right. Yeah. My trainer, I've had the same, um, I don't train in martial arts, but just like physical training. I've had the same trainer for almost 15 years. And his background was also in martial arts. And he was always one to say, like, you know, fighting is always a last resort. You don't want to do it. He goes, you know, like, especially because, number one, you don't want to hurt someone. You don't really want to hurt someone. And two, he goes, like, a bar fight is not like a movie fight. Like, someone could, you know, like, have a bottle or, like, exactly. smack. Like, yeah, they're going to tackle you. Like, you, anything. you don't, you know, you could get hurt hitting you because you just never, like, at all costs. He goes, you know, if someone comes at you aggressively... Fucking run. Like, yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, you don't ever, yeah. you only ever want to do it if it's, if there's, if it's every the other last course thing, of action yeah. is, you got un- cornered is unavoidable. And unavoidable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, when I was young, I didn't really understand the mind-body connection because I, I think I would have looked at martial arts as a, a physical discipline. And now that I'm older and I have, you know, had this sort of fitness journey the last 15 years, I realize how inseparable the mind body and sort of the, the philosophical and the spiritual connection of it are as well. Mm-hmm. And so these are kind of some of the things that I want to talk to you about because you just can't, you know, my trainer in the early days would always say like the things that you learn in here, you can take out into the world. And I, I, I never could have understood that until I started experiencing it, you know, in, in the way that we approach fitness is like, 
you know, we d- used to do boxing training early on, and I would always lean on my toes, and he'd go, you need to sit back on oh. your heels. And I realized, like, I'm always, like, eager and ready to get out. <laughs> so it actually, in life, got me to sort of like, okay, in any situation, just sit, sit back, back, take a breath, yeah. you know, like, don't be up here. Right. And so... I would love to talk a little bit about that mind-body connection, especially with, um, you know, a Kichundo or whatever, whatever the, your, your sort of journey and some of the sort of philosophical ideas that are, you know, inextricable from the, the physicality of it. Uh-huh. So what is, what are some of the principles that really spoke to you early on that you just could never have foreseen when you, when you started? The first one is simplicity. Um, when you're in combat, it meant um, your longest weapon to the nearest target. Okay. So whatever nearest target was towards you, that, that's what you would uh, direct your attention for. Like if his front leg was, you know, the closest thing to you, that would be the object. Okay. You know, if, if a weapon was out and extended, say a, a short blade or, or a dagger or something, that would be the target okay. to disarm that target. So that was first thing. Um and the simplicity and then um, the longest weapon to nearest target and um, was uh, I think that was a big one was 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 a simplicity thing because then it, it, I took it in not in a combative fashion mm-hmm. yeah and I think the philosophy um, uh, kind of got to me where I started looking at other avenues of uh, developing myself mm-hmm. um, because I think in the martial arts world, if, if you're really in it, you're, all you're thinking about is fighting. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got to me like, Oh my God, you know, I'm always uh, deciding like in my mind, how I'd respond, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I actually started. Oh, and then Jerry used to always say, nature is your greatest teacher. And then when you start reading into some of the Taoist beliefs that Bruce tapped into, they said they would always say the people closest to the Tao or the movement of the universe, mm-hmm. which is the basis of your power and, and, and your being and everything, were farmers. And I went, damn, I said, <laughs> I've never done that. I've never done And then when I started reading about all these great like samurai, like the Musashi and stuff, and uh, some other guys... Um, they were farmers. Wow. And I went, okay, there's something there. I don't, I don't know if I've ever understood it, but let's give it a try. So I set out. I bought a piece of land on a big island, and I created this farm, and I went into organics. I, I grew um, uh, wild vegetables, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I was doing it for about 20 years. Oh, wow. Which was why I probably didn't do much filming. <laughs> so I don't have, like... My resume is not stacked, you know, like that, because I think I took so much time off to go explore that avenue of my life. Um, and I wanted to do it hands on. I didn't want to go, hey, you guys, you know, I want to hire you guys. Can you do this work for me? I said, you know, took a piece of raw land and just started banging away at it and build my cabin, you know, and I started acquiring all these other skills. Um, and I and I, I always wanted to do it with hand tools. So I, and when I started working with hand tools in the earth and stuff and really feeling it, it was like, wow, these are all the muscles that you use as a martial artist. You know, the, the pulling, the step, the breathing and the movement, breathing mm-hmm. and movement. So if you're relaxed and you're breathing and you're moving and you're, you're exercising those muscles, I was like, wow, 
I feel fit as a fiddle. You know? <laughs> well, you're also, I, I would imagine you're also beginning to understand how to move the earth. Like you're beginning to understand yeah. the basic processes that sort of like create and move life and life yeah. and decay. And then and I went, I went and studied with this uh, older Japanese gentleman. He was sort of the sensei of natural farming. And I, I, I did a pilgrimage to Japan and I worked on his farm his name was uh, Masanobu Fukuoka, and he wrote a, a book called The One Straw Revolution. And his philosophies were so like this uh, holistic martial arts kind of thing that I thought, wow, this is going to be amazing. So I worked on his farm for about three months during the summer, and I came back and I, I started kind of redesigning my, my way of growing things. And one of the things that appealed to me was that with martial arts... A lot of it was to take apart mm -hmm. and and destroy and, and these kind of things, you know, with the least amount of effort. Right. And then so I went, wow, this is more about creativity. It's about creating, giving life instead of taking away. Right. I said, that's the key. Giving life instead of taking away. And I said, that gives you the yin and the yang of the martial arts. Oh, wow. So yeah? how do you apply that in... Say you put a, uh, uh, you, you seed a row of, of corn, you're giving life. Of course. And as it grows, you're watching life appear and you're going, damn, I can take this corn, give it to my kid, and she's happy. And know, it I, creates life. Yeah. And, like, and it, so that was, that was an amazing journey to see. And then you start seeing patterns in nature. You go, okay, well, that grass I cut just jumped up two inches overnight. I said, what does that mean? I said, there's a growth spurt. There's a growth spurt somewhere that's happening. There's energy that's boosting and flourishing. What's happening to me? Oh, wow. that's really interesting. What's the reflection? I'm nature. Right. I'm the exact same thing as this grass. So you, as you start seeing all the insects and all the good things and all the, you know, all the bacteria that's making your, your plants grow, you're going, shit, I got a, I got a small hand at this job. I got a small hand in this in this picture so how does understanding that life energy like how does that influence and help the practice of martial arts what is it if you're infusing this idea that you know that that we're giving life how how, how does that inform your practice sensitivity and awareness okay you gain a higher sensitivity for things natural the things around you and you get a greater awareness of of what the situation really is okay what's the reality yeah, and that's that's the thing they've been talking about all this time with the Oscars and stuff like this and, you know, sustainability and right. all these things. That's what it is. Right. And it, it, so that's a holistic approach to training as a martial artist or, or training a child or a kid. Like, what what's the concept you're going to give them? Mm -hmm. What's the philosophy you're going to afford them to grow into, you know, excellent human beings? Okay. And, and I think that's the kind of... Like we talk about mediocrity and, you know, Bruce wasn't that. He was striving for that, that goal. So I took it in a whole nother con and tried to figure out how I would do it. Mm -hmm. Not just copying what Bruce did, but take what his knowledge and, and philosophy and wisdom in the martial way and applying it in just a life way. Which I assume he probably would have wanted, right? Like, don't just copy me. Take what I'm saying. Correct. Figure out how it yeah. works for you to make your own and thing. And that's the dynamic that I speak. But when I talk about martial arts, there is the principles, mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
and and those things uh adhere to the to that so like all the you know we talked about longest with nearest target simplicity um and strategy basically yeah you use strategy you use your mind to 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 work out you know closing the distance and all that so here's so here's my uh, Here's my crazy question, which is, which is, if you're thinking longest weapon, nearest target, what do you do if, you know, you see whatever an opposing force is? It could be a person, it could be a situation, it could be, you know, just the world. Some days the world is just a tough place to navigate. But when you come up against obstacles in your life, what if the nearest target is actually your own head? Like, you, in other words, you know... Um, I'm going to I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent but I'll swing it back around. So I've been studying piano for the last year and I can play fine. Then I turn and I go I should record this. I want to see I want to see how my progress is going. I turn the camera on. I can't play for shit because my brain is going there's a camera on. Don't fuck this up. There's a camera on or you know someone might come up against a situation and go you know, in your head, you're going, I can't handle this. I suck. I'm a piece of shit or I'm no good at this or I'm going to fail or whatever. And so what do you do if, you know, the enemy in the ex- in the external world is actually in reality the second enemy because the first one's in your head? <laughs> so how are you navigating that? And how do you if that is actually the reality is that that's like your closest enemy. So how are you, you know, what is the philosophy behind sort of pushing that out of the way and just sort of being and not getting in your own way. I would say, and I think a lot of the Sifu would say relaxation Mm -hmm. is the key. Like, like consistent meditation, relaxation kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. If if, if you can apply it that way, but I think the breath and, 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 and um, like when I'm, I did a a stage play, a musical in London. You did the King and I, the King and I, correct. And I freaked out on a couple nights, <laughs> and I was like, "Shit, I forgot my lines." Right? It's like I'm 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 like in nowhere land. It's like the audience is listening, and it's like you're there, and you're like, "Okay, what do you do?" I just I just said, "Okay, training. Take a breath. Just took a breath, relax into it. So don't worry about it." Boom! It came back. Oh wow! Okay. So. I know I, I, I know the feeling, that sure. fear, and that, like, you know, if you were at a recital doing your piano, it'd be like, oh, you know, like... Right, <laughs> right. I think that would be... That would be the case, yeah. And it sounds to me like that the main reason to study these principles... Yes, it's, you know, it's cool to be able to kick your leg really... It's like the physicality is very cool. And it's cool to have that sort of control over your body. But what really attracts me to it is that sort of that um, there's a word for it that my trainer had used. But it's basically like that sort of like quiet confidence, you know, that sort of stillness and that kind of that because you're understanding nature in a deeper way that in general you're sort of calmer. Not like, you know, it's impossible for everyone to be calm 100% of the time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. especially in a world where I feel like we're overstimulated and we're always on our phones and there's so much (laughs) distraction and so much stimuli. And, like, even just hearing you say, like, yeah, I went to farm for a couple of decades ago. Fuck, I totally get I completely understand (laughs) that, you know? Is it it really just sort of... does, Does that daily practice, I imagine, that just sort of helps keep you from getting to that 
panicky place too often because you're you're practicing quiet yeah. and stillness yeah, as a, as sure. a discipline for sure. And so what 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 is involved with that? Is it is there is there, does everyone have a different ritual or is there sort of a general like you know you get up when the sun comes up and you sort of just notice the world and be quiet and be still like what are some of the steps that are I taken? Think what I, I felt it was an incredible creative endeavor. Mhm. Which has kept me busy. I mean, I you know I have to build things for for the greenhouse. I'd have to build different things with wood, and you know, um, you're always fixing stuff. Um, you're with the tools a lot. Um, you know, you're fixing tractors. You know, if 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 you have some you know machinery around, um, you're pounding on metal. I mean, th- there's so many disciplines that involve are involved with um gardening or what we call farming whatever same right. thing um and if you do it like without a whole lot of machinery which is what i did um you find yourself acquiring a lot of different sets of skills mm-hmm. so i think that diversifies my belief in myself mm-hmm. and i think one of the reasons why i did it because when i was in the throes of like hollywood mm-hmm. and doing leading roles and stuff i noticed that I wasn't doing a lot of things for myself because everybody was doing things for me. Right. And I felt I was losing a sense of myself. Um, and it was that whole movement back to nature was about learning about myself again. Mm-hmm. What are my abilities? What are the things I can learn again you know, or, or, or relearn or learn brand new? Right. Um, so that those are the things that I thought were captivating and fulfilling. Um, and so it kept me... You know, sore days, you know, it's like some sore days, you're sore back or something or, you know, and it's pouring rain and you're just like, well, no one's going to do it. You got to do it. You know, <laughs> you're it's in like, it now. <laughs> you're in it. It's like, you know, it's got to get done. So get off your ass and go do it. And so I think it, it, it prevents a lot of laziness as well. And um, no hesitation. Right. Whereas, like, you know, sometimes we procrastinate. It's like, oh, I'll get to it. You know, it's like... It's so easy to do that. uh, And it is so easy to let other people... Oh, you know, like, this person takes care of that. That person takes care of that. Because we want... Like, our brains just want us to feel comfortable all the time. And when, in fact... I think one of the more important parts of life is understanding and accepting and pushing through discomfort because that's where yeah. the growth happens. Exactly. And exactly. <laughs> For example, when I first got this piece of land, I built a small cabin and I wanted to start from nothing. So okay. it was like no electricity, no running water, um, an outhouse mm-hmm. and uh, kerosene lamps for light. And a little two burner gas stove. Okay. And that was it. And 10 years. And that was chopping wood, carrying water, chopping wood, carrying water. That was awesome, right? Right. People would come to my little shack and just go, what the hell? This guy, <laughs> why doesn't he afford himself, you know, luxury power? He was a big star. Like, what's he doing? Right. He's here. He's so living it's in a like, shack. And that was, that was that, that phase where I was like, man, this is golden. Right. I come back. I got a landline. We didn't even have cell phones back then, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you got a landline. That's it. It's like mom would call every once in a while, and you're just like, and it was just no hum of the refrigerator, you know, no nothing, right. and it was wickedly awesome. <laughs> and I miss I actually miss those days. I I often joke with my wife. It's like we're gonna go back to the days. Let's go back to <laughs> when, you, when you when you came back, like when you'd go to the mainland, or when you'd come to the mainland, or if you'd go to you know a bigger city. Did you notice how noisy it was? Oh, absolutely. And it was funny because 
you go into the city and you're like, wow, the cacophony and everything going on. It's like you hear every little bit. And then it slowly subsides where you don't hear it because right. it becomes white noise. Right. And then when you go back to the little quiet cabin, it's like your ears ring. Mm-hmm. When you first get there, the first three, four days, your ears just, there's a ring until all that excess of noise because it stays with you it's like a vibrational thing or something sure. and then it slowly goes away and then you experience the quiet again wow and you know the other thing that's really great about that is that it also seems to teach you that because every day there's something to do or something goes wrong you're constantly having to fix thing fix things it also trains you to realize that you know that's that life is messy like things break you have mm-hmm. to fit you know we rent we like to renovate houses and you know, I always tell people who are going into it, just expect that, like, half of everything you do is probably going to go wrong. Something's not going to show up. Something's going to get installed wrong. You're going to open a wall and a fucking pipe's going to break. You know, it's like, it, it, it's just sort of like, you know, solutions create more problems. And that tends to just sort of be like, yeah, it's just, that's just life. And if you can, you know, like you said, as a farmer, you you just sort of deal with it and accept it. Wow, what an incredible skill set to have. Yeah. Because then... If you could really master it, you'd be relatively unshakable because you're just like, that's just life. Correct. Like if every fall, everything falls apart or you, 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 you get someone assassinates your character or something, you're good. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the stocks go up or go down. You know, it's like, I'm good. Right. It's like, we're all good. My family's good. We're, you know, we can do it. We'll just step away, start doing your work, start getting busy. And, you know, it's all, it's all cool. That's great because it the sort of the, the the analogy that I'm seeing that I imagine people who are listening hopefully will see is like you know you take a situation like okay it's raining and you go out and you try to start up the tractor and the tractor's not working but shit you got to and I don't even know if you would tractor in the rain but let's just say <laughs> I'm just trying to pile on some circumstances and you go shit well I got to fix this but I don't feel like fixing this your options are to stand there and scream at the tractor <laughs> yell at the rain kick your feet in the mud yeah. you know not do what you're supposed to do and then things start to wither or you just kind of Choose how you respond. You suck it up. (laughs) It may not be your favorite thing, but you fix it and then it gets going and then it's fine. And so, you know, I think so much of what we try to do, we live so much of our lives in the external world because our internal lives can be very um, uh, messy and loud and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we have to deal with emotions and how we see ourselves and how we think other people see us. And so, like, rather than sort of shouting at the external world or trying to control the external world, it feels like the lesson here is, like, you just deal with what you can, you respond how you can, and that's it. And you just sort of get through it. And then, in general, you'll, you know, you'll probably, it'll probably be okay. I remember the old man, the old Japanese uh, sensei in the natural farmer from Japan, he used to say, technology is not going to save us. Right. Because we're going to save ourselves. If you have the right perspective on things, mm-hmm. it goes, technology is only going to make things more complicated. Right. As it, and you look at it, it pretty much has. I mean, <laughs> how many times are you like at a pay point and the thing's not working? And it's like, this is supposed to make our lives easier. And you realize like it just, it just, it just creates the, the possibility for more problems. And things actually take long. It would, have been, it would have been faster for me just to hand you $20. And how money. many of us are sitting in front of the computer or you know, at home and, and, and waiting for the thing? Okay, yeah. waiting, 
We're waiting. We're waiting. How come this damn thing's so slow? Yeah. 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 You, you know, you watch three seconds of a movie or a video and you're like, yeah, I got it. And you're like, you even what you, you know, we're just, we're just so impatient. I feel like we're fostering our impatience and our reliance on other things. And I do think... I think sometimes that's why older people seem so crazy to us. Like, oh, they won't even use their, they won't even answer a text or respond. It's like, because they're just living in the world. Like, they're not <laughs> the sort of a prisoner of all of these things that, you know, I think, I think essentially are us kind of running from discomfort and kind of like just trying to feed our own egos. You know, I imagine. You can't really have much of an ego if you have a bunch of farm shit to do to keep the farm going, right? Because you're kind of in service of that farm. Yeah, yeah. And I think we it's funny because my wife and I, we did an experiment one year. And uh, at that time, it was just the two of us. And we were like, okay, let's like, I'll just go fishing. We'll go fishing once a week, you know, fill up the coolers and stuff. And then, you know, we'll, we'll grow our taro and a sweet potato. And, you know, that'll be our starch. And then, you know, vegetables are pretty easy. They they they, they, they kind of go little, do their own thing. Okay, let's try it out. Let's see what we got. And okay, all inclusive with costs of of car insurance and and you know fuel and stuff like that. Nine thousand dollars plus for the year oh, between wow. my wife and I. I went like, you know what? Do I really need to go back to acting? To do that? I said, I think I can sell tuna, man. It's like this is great. You well, know, it's like, it's like tuna and a few bunches of kale, and, and we're golden. Well, that's the thing. It's like what's what's the goal? It's that old, it's that you know old story that I'm sure I'm butchering, but it's like you know the 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 rich guy who sees the you know the old man on the beach fishing, and he's like, oh, you know what you need to do is you need to hire more people and yeah. catch more fish. Right. Why would I do that? Well, then you can build an industry and then you can grow. Why would I do that? So that you can get so rich that you can have all this free time. And he's like, I have that now. Like, I don't need to do all that shit, you know? And so, like, what is it really that we're chasing? And is it better to sort of, you know... I mean, I, I think about this all the time that, you know, th this business definitely... We are chasing a lot of ego stuff. It's fun to perform. There is an element of ego in a lot of it. We like attention. We like people validating us. You know, that's generally what social media is. And that's what I think a lot of the, the, center, the entertainment business is. Um, but, you know, I think back to... I, I listen to a lot of 40s music in my car, Sirius XM. Oh, wow. And so there's a lot of old-timey music in there. And I, I hear a lot of the same artists come up. And then the big ones I know, like I know Benny Goodman, I know Gene Krupa, I know Sinatra, I know Les Brown. But then there's a couple more. It's like, this guy, Vaughn Monroe, keeps popping up. I'm like, I've never fucking heard of this guy. But he has so many songs that play on the station. I go, he must have been really famous at the time. <laughs> I have no fucking clue who this guy is. So if you're chasing fame, does it really matter? Because in a generation or two, no one's going to we'll know. There are people now who don't fucking know Elvis. You know, it's like, like, you can't get much bigger than Elvis. So, like, what is it that we're really doing? At what point do we say, like... Am I chasing something to try to make myself happy or can I just be happy? Can I just be present and be happy in the world? And that, it sounds like, is sort of what you discovered. So I'm so yeah. curious. Like, And that's sort of like, you know, the, the, that line of attack where you go, I want my freedom. Right. So what is it? What do you, what is it, what are you going to do to to make you feel that way? Right, right. So and so why so like what was your because I obviously Mulan is coming out mm -hmm. and so like what was your decision after all this time sort of you know communing with 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 the life force of nature? Like, <laughs> what what sort of made you go? I think I'm going to go back and do this weird acting thing again. Why well, I, I I you know I've been 
since my firstborn, I was like, I've been trying to like get jobs. I was like, wow, even with a resume that I have, I said, it, it's been difficult. Right. Um, you know, and then this diversity thing came up, you know, and Hollywood's like, well, maybe that'll give you a better shot. But then when Mulan came up and then um, they actually passed on me, like, oh, the wow. First couple auditions. <laughs> oh, like, no. <laughs> yeah, they said, no, he's not our guy. And I went, wow, okay, that, that, Okay, I'm cool with that. Okay. You know, and then um, eventually we, you know, it came around. It came back around again. Like, a, oh, she's almost a year later, you know, after the first audition. Oh, wow. You just never know. You never know. And then it was like, um, I said, man, I so want to do this because it's Chinese. My kid, my kids are Chinese. I said, they would love it. I have two daughters and a, and a son, but the daughters would be like, that's Mulan. That's, you know, Papa was in Mulan. And it's like, so... Man, when I got the job, I was like, oh, my goodness. It's like I cried. I was like, this is going to be wicked because it's for the kids. Right. You well, know? and it's also, like... it. I love the idea that you didn't get the job the first couple times. I'm sure that stung. But if, but it wouldn't have mattered if you had freaked out, not freaked out, never thought about it again, thought about it every day. Whatever was going to happen was going to happen. And so why not? Just let it go. And it did come back around. Like, did, things yeah. don't always come back around. Yeah. But when they do, it's like, whether or not you freaked out, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, yeah, whatever was going to happen right, was right. going to happen. Like, oh, so well. would you rather be peaceful that whole time? Yeah, yeah. Then that, that was the case. You know, it was like, whoa, they came back. It was like, what what's up now? It's like, you know, how, how did this happen? Then I would right. hear all the little stories in between from, you know, through the grapevine and like right. who they went with and who they, who they, you know, who, who they uh, screen tested sure. and, da, 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 and then that wasn't happening. And, and I think we, I, could have been because I had a track record with Disney. Um, you right. know, they felt like, hey, you know, because of Jungle Book, yeah, Jungle Book yeah. and Lilo and Stitch and Lilo and, and Stitch, the yeah. voicing and, yeah. and, um, you know, there was, I guess that trace of my work there. And so, you know, bravo! It's like I love it. Are you a? Str- are, are, it sounds like you're not like a stressor. Like it's you don't stress as a habit. No, no, almost never. That's good. Yeah, I don't, I don't really I'd love to learn that skill set. <laughs> I mean, I really. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about sure. things. You know, of course, when my kids is. get you know in, in trouble or something, this and that. It's like, yeah, I definitely show. I, I'm, I'm more of a serious person, right. so I, I, I'm very concerned about things. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's stress necessarily. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's good. I mean, listen, it, to never think about anything is unrealistic. It's like you still have to think, mm-hmm. you still have to plan, especially if you have kids. <laughs> like that's that you're you're basically parents are the ultimate farmers. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got to grow those kids. Exactly. You, you got to weed out the things around them, and <laughs> they're they're very unpredictable. <laughs> they can break. You have to fix them. Yeah. You have to you know emotionally, physically, you have to always be tending. I we I my wife and I look at it that like that way all the time. We're we're, we're farming them. Yeah, it's like you know you try to feed them the right ingredients to make them grow straight and tall. <laughs> do you think? Do you ever envision a time where you're like, all right, we're all gonna go learn how to farm, and you're gonna learn how to do this because it's an important you know it's important. Yeah, to learn. well, the time when we had it. I only had my first child, and and we used to take her in all the time, and she used to go with us at night. It was a game. Mm -hmm. Go at night with the little flashlights and go into the greenhouse and pick off all the slugs off of uh, the plants. Right. And so, you know, know, because we didn't use pesticides or anything like that. Right. And that was, like, fun. It was a fun game, you know? Right. Have her put on, like, little gloves or something, or or she'd spot it, and I'd go pull it, you know? And and then, you know, stuff like that. And then I have her go collect different 
tomatoes and stuff like that and 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 i said oh we need this type we need that type and you know and then go get the kale and then no no not that one the scana <laughs> one so you know at a young age she understood you know what the process was but you know i would do all the heavy work of course sure yeah yeah of course that's really great though yeah but then at a certain age you can just make them work for you and they have to because they're gonna do what you say and you're like now you got so, farm hands yeah so we, 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 we transplanted ourselves back to california so we were trying to rebuild sort of that 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 you know essence of of, of that kind of lifestyle well that is nice though because it i feel like do you feel like you appreciate it more this time around with like with the the work? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because you know, I had all those years, um, you know, in the business, and and I was like, wow, you know, you really let. That, I think that's the key word. You appreciate, right? You know, the fact you're you're damn lucky, right, to be even working in this business. There's so many people who would love to take your place. Sure. And um, yeah, and and especially I think when you get high profile jobs like like Mulan mm-hmm. and and you're like oh this is this is ace you know this is this is great yeah and are you finding um that the the market is opening up in a more positive way for Asian and Asian American actors oh for sure Good. you know with crazy rich Asians that kind right. of blew things open i hear you know around town and stuff like that you know they're looking for um projects that are asian based or or stuff you know and then you, you see, you know, a film like Parasite, you know, right. like take it and you're like going, damn, it's like Koreans are stepping up, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, they have been for a while, but then, you know, to get that kind of recognition, right. you know, that, that, that's a big stage. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's great. Awesome. That's great to hear. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that you uh, feel like you have a healthier perspective on it. Cause I feel like it's so easy to get caught up in all of the. Who got that part? Why didn't I get that part? Why didn't this? Why didn't this person call me back? Or oh, do I, do I not have enough Instagram followers? You know, it's like <laughs> oh, oh that, I'm learning that. I'm learning all that social media. We never had that when we started. You know, it's like it's all like brand new. I'm like, like, you have to what? You have to like answer all these people. And, what? Well, they're your fans. Well, they're the people that are going to get you the endorsements because. <laughs> Well, I feel like Milan's going to help blow that up too. Like, uh, like yeah. people, like I mean, Milan is. I feel like something like Milan is about as high profile as it gets. I mean, yeah. like, that's a huge, yeah. huge thing. And as Disney is making more live action stuff based on their animations, like it's it's a good. I don't know. It's just a, it's a it's it's a it's a very fruitful time, and I feel like you know where where things can often get rebooted and not done properly. This idea of you know taking animation especially from times when they just didn't have the you know with the original jungle book they just didn't have the technology to make animals look like they could talk you know or like or with mulan like even the animated mulan it's like the technology Mm -hmm. it's just so much better now Mm -hmm. um so i really do like the idea of like you know, let's go back and make really cool live action mm-hmm. versions of what these animated yeah. films I, were. I, I, I've been hearing, I haven't seen the film yet, Mulan, but I've been hearing such wonderful things. It's, I hear it's a, a complete classic. Cool. And it's like a standalone movie. Even if you had never seen the animated version, you it, it's just, you know, kind of glorious to watch. And, and you know, it's, it, it has heartfelt moments all the way through. So I'm, I'm eager to see it. Can we talk just for a couple seconds about just some... Uh, because I imagine with a lot of these practices, with a lot of, you know, especially with, um, I'm assuming with Jeet Kune Do, there's probably 
an element of how does like gratitude and appreciation figure into the practice? Does it figure into the practice? Are you, do you, is there, is there a part of the philosophy that says, you know, focus on, you know, what your assets are, what the positive elements of a situation are, rather than always trying to put out the fire of, you know, being in like, well, that was, that was one of Bruce's um, philosophies that he brought to the table was um, be the opponent's compliment. Oh, wow. And, and that's like when you started getting to sticking energy and stuff like that. So basically you're shadowing them. And if you can have enough sensitivity to, to, you know, feel them, you can, you can feel their move. You can feel what they're going to make, what they're going to do, you know, when they're going to throw, so, like, um, that's when Bruce developed sort of a non-telegraphic approach to mm-hmm. attacking. Because he says, like, uh, a cat, or if you watch a kitten, the way they, 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 they grab something, you don't see the motion. Right. Because everything's relaxed. Right. And then that motion comes out of just an impulsive motion, which, which doesn't telegraph. And so that's the basis of a lot of the striking that Bruce developed was, was non-telegraphic striking. Um, and that you know, had to do with just feeling the mo- moment. And, and then it, wow, because that's, that's almost kind of counterintuitive. You think like, oh, I'm going to put, you know, like you think you got to yeah. like g- tense everything yeah. up and really, and that actually seems like it's very detrimental. Yeah, like like I was always, you know, you know, I think guys, we always want to carry our strength, you know, in our rear, mm-hmm. in your rear hand, because it's like, you know, you're throwing that big right hand. You're throwing that big right hand and you're setting up, you know, like boxing style, you're setting up the left hand. Mm-hmm. When I started training, they immediately switched me. They put my right hand in the front. I, they made me southpaw. Oh, wow. And I was like, whoa, this is weird. It's awkward, right? And so he was like, it's Bruce's philosophy. He say if you're in a gunfight, you know, a guy shoots a gun at you. What do you do? You're not going to block, right? You're going to shoot right back. Mm-hmm. So your firepower, your heaviest firepower is going to be in the front. And you develop that front hand like a jackhammer. So, like, the first three months was all developing front hand. Develop that front hand. Develop that front hand because that's your, you're going to cover the distance from that front hand. Right. And you can develop a wicked jab, which has so much power because you're putting all your hip into it. Right. You know? So you're just like, boom. I wish and people that, could see how fast front, you just moved. That front hand. I really wish. I mean, I could hear it. I'm sure people. I'm, I hope the mic picked it up. But even just watching you like like pop your hip was it, like that was that was unbelievable. Yeah. So it's the relaxation. Relax. Tense. So you relax. Tense. Relax. Right. Tense. And you know it's a, and that tension that is like that explode. You can hit an empty hand. You know, like right, right up in you know, something. Eye jab. Boom. That that you know. I'm, I I was watching uh, Robert Downey Jr. on 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 uh, I think a. Uh, uh, interview with Joe Rogan or something and he, he's really into the Wing Chun. Oh wow. I didn't know that. And so he practices incessantly and I and I was watching him and he always uh talks about the Buji, mm-hmm. which is the Cantonese for uh eye jab, finger, okay. finger jab. And um and, and and you know those are the things like okay, say in a street encounter, I think speed is gonna win. And just because if you can immobilize, you know, a person's vision and run um, you know, you do it. You know? Right. It's like because you don't know who's behind him. Right. You don't know if he's got three, four guys. And and my Sifu said, you know, never go on the ground. 
not voluntarily anyway. Right. You know, because it, it, you could end up a victim. Sure, because your so, back is to the world correct. when you're on the ground. Correct. And and so there's a lot of sort of real life stuff that, that you know, we learned in the Jeet Kune Do and, and all that. And, but one that was the one big one was compliment your your opponent. Wow, you know? that's amazing. Kind of embrace him. And it's almost like a, that, that the Aikido philosophy too. It's like, you know, you try to love your opponent like <laughs> but like you know to make sure you know that and and you deal only with the conflict that comes to your space so and that's another thing about to relax until the confrontation comes within your range don't get all wild like oh come on man you get beef man it's like you know get all stoked and all fired up and just relax just stay there if that motion comes within your range that's when you respond but that and even- that strategy because they don't see it coming. Yes, but that's also like a brilliant life strategy too because we can get so tweaked up about things that might happen or catastrophize where we get ready and like, oh, I got to be prepared in case right. something – and it's like that may never happen. And this idea of being relaxed until something comes into your space is like that's a life thing. Like what an incredible life message to not – just live in a constant state of anxiety and panic because it's like, you know, you, you prepare the best you can prepare and then you just let it go until it comes into your space. That's just such a – that is really just melting my brain out of my ear. <laughs> I mean it sounds like a very obvious thing but just – but I feel like – and that is, that is you know, martial arts is, is, a, is also a physical representation of the idea of practice that we also have to practice – philosophy and practice our mental health every day the way that we would practice that because it isn't just turning it on when there's a fire it's like you have to just you know like that's the confidence of just sort of like you know doing a little bit every day to make sure that you're you know that you're nimble but also um but just not living in that state of tension Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. so do you still practice every day Martial arts, yeah. the, the combative stuff. No, not really. Um, I, every once in a while, I'll tune up. Yeah, you know, I'll, 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 I'll see how the mechanisms are working. And yeah, um, but yeah, um, yeah, not not regularly. It, it's I don't know. It seems just so a part of me. And I think you, you do lose maybe a little bit of timing. Mm-hmm. I think by not training, you know, you know, all the time. Sure. But, um, I think. There's an enjoyment to it, and to not train, just let it all go. Sure, like, <laughs> yeah. and then just to stay healthy, stay healthy, stay fit, yeah. you know, and 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 have that all that stuff ingrained in you. And I think you know you you always I always tend to fall back on it. My you know my elbows in, my straight line, my you know <laughs> chin down. It's like <laughs> you kind of you kind of carry it with you, I guess. Well, I'm sure that there are many situations that you probably didn't even realize you were so well equipped for because. You've had all this training. And so, like, I I do – I have recommended people before. It's like, yeah, you know, like, study some kind of a fitness regime not because you want to get jacked or because you want to learn how to pu- – you know, it's like, yeah, that's fine if you want to do that. But really it's it's about, you know, the practice of giving yourself – because you're investing in yourself when you do it. And that sort of creates the confidence that you think you're worth it, which – also helps give you the confidence of like, oh, I'm starting to feel my body and I sort of can feel how I move through the world. And all that shit is really, it really does like the stuff you learn in there, like really does. Yeah. You know, one of the, the one of the humanity things about that I, I, I heard and the kind of been, you know, um, with the martial arts 
was Bruce's, one of Bruce's saying was, to be is to be related. And I was like, oh, you're like, okay, let me think about that for a minute. It's like to be is to be related. Okay, so if I have an opponent, I'm going to try and find relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And that would make me be okay. in my space, right? So um, just to acknowledge like, okay, um, even I think prize fighters can do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. They can acknowledge their, the, uh, the opponent's strong points, his weak points. I'm finding a relationship okay. with that opponent. And I think even if you're on the street, right, your observation and your awareness of things and your sensitivity will allow you to have a relationship with that person. And so how do you, because this idea of sensitivity and, and awareness really just sounds like you know, I think another common term for it is like being in the zone where everything sort of slows down. And to me, that is like being in pure presence, like purely present rather than having your brain thinking about the past or the future, what's going to happen 10 seconds from now or a minute mm-hmm. from now. It's just sort of being in that state of pure presence where you can kind of see and feel everything. But just taking what you just said, your relationship to your opponent, like what, how, how do you see that applying to just like a life situation? So like. Good to meet you. Oh, nice Chris. to meet you. Yes, we're shaking hands. I feel your energy. Oh, yeah. I shook your hand just now. Yeah. I feel where you're at. Yeah. That's all, you know, you didn't squeeze it. You didn't over-squeeze it. Right. You didn't under-squeeze it. You kind of felt met me halfway yeah. in medium. Yeah. That's an awareness thing. Okay. It's just when you just in meeting people or, you know, like say, you know, there's there's a disruption in, in, in a coffee shop or something. You right. Say, hey, man. It's like, what's your name, bro? Oh, right. You know? Shake his hand. Right. You're like, are you okay? Can I help you? Okay, so rather than... So this idea of like fighting as a last resort I think is really good because I can see that our first response a lot of the time can be to fight. You know, especially if it's on social media. Someone says something we don't like. Oh, we go right at them, you know. Or like something happens and we don't like. Oh, fuck. Oh, the fuck everything, you know. And But rather than fighting the situation, rather than fighting life, figuring out... I think what you're saying, your relationship to it, so you can either be flexible, move with yeah, it, and check out how that to disarm out. It. I'm in a being state. Yeah, yeah, I love. I'm this. not in a fight state. Right. I'm just being. Right. I don't mean to fight. I don't want to fight. I know I could do some damage. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I want to? <laughs> right. Like unless you know, unless it's necessary. Unless all yeah. of a sudden, you know, he he pulls out a, a big right you know coming right. at me and then then, right. then it's a different story right yeah yeah i i do like that idea of like you don't have to be on high alert all the time if you practice calmness presence stillness your connection to the world your connection to the universe that you can and also that you know the external world doesn't necessarily control or inform who you are like you have to figure that out and your relationship to it those are just sort of the base understandings that I think allow people to be still and relax and like I can handle things when they come into my space. I'll be okay. Just like you said, like if I needed to, I could do some damage. That's the confidence of knowing you could handle something if it did happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that putting in those little, you know, like those little deposits every, every day for your practice and mentally, physically – those are the kind of things that allow you to feel that that quiet confidence. And so I really can't thank you enough for being here. This was such this a wonderful great. You chat. You had a cool place. Jason. Oh, thank you yeah. very much. I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah. The end. <laughs> ID Tenty scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.